Okay, so we're <coughs> talking about exploring um, these ideas of uh, mastery, mastering the fire, and forging strong vessels uh, <coughs> that we borrowed from the alchemical maxims, and exploring what that might mean, and exploring even the extent to which that's even possible in uh, work with eros and soul making, but generally looking at, yeah, what, what's involved in mastery? What, what, what might we mean by that and what might be included and necessary to develop there uh, and practice uh, in all that? So most of the <coughs> previous two, two parts of this uh, talk, uh, we're looking really at, if you like, practice as a whole and the whole of life and um, what was called collateral, sort of the, the development of certain qualities, etc. Um, long-term, a long-term development of certain qualities that will serve us well and support us well um, in, in, in extending our meditative explorations and widening our practice to include this work with eros and soul-making. And now what I want to get into... Um, is uh, what about in practice, um, in the moment, in practice, in the heat of practice? Uh, what might mastery mean there, mastering the fire? What might be involved in that? What might be called for? Um, and what does it mean um, to forge strong vessels, <coughs> adequate vessels? And how might we do that? Um, so we said, I think, already that the balance we're um, talking about here uh, is fluid balance. We're not talking about something static. And fluid balance, in this case, in practice, means exactly um, the ability, the skill, the art of um, navigation, gliding this way and that, responding to what's actually arising and the balance of qualities, energies, directions, and the art of skillful response um, in the moment, uh, which sometimes is, is really quite subtle, even in terms of discerning what's happening, and then this very subtle sort of micro-adjustment, very graceful uh, can be. So there's, there's, as always, there's a range of what we're talking about, fluid balance. Um, so in it, in regard to fire, what that might might that mean? Um, uh, when uh, when do we welcome the fire? When do we stoke the fire? When do we uh, guard it? Um, how much? Uh, and and which fire exactly, or what exactly needs the fire? Um, but this. Uh, navigation uh, that we talk about, it's, it's this moment-to-moment um, -moment skillful responding is actually forging the vessel in the moment. Forging the vessels in the moment. So it's not, as I said, I think before, it's not that we arrive with a pre uh, prefabricated vessel. That's not completely how it is. We're actually always creating, shaping, and um, forging the vessel in, in the moment by uh, all, all kinds of uh, things that we're doing, perspectives, emphases, etc. So, as always in practice, there are options, and I want to go through, uh, take, take a little time and go through different options in practice um, in this regard. And options is a key word because it implies that there's flexibility, there's a range here. The art and the wisdom is in the use of the options, is in the flexibility and in that, that flexibility of response and, and range of possibility uh, that we can develop for ourselves in practice. You know, sometimes... <clears throat> Um, considering all practices, all, all meditative practices, um, I sometimes I think that there's only one real mistake, uh, if you like, and that would be always to do the same thing. Uh, so talk about any practice, always uh, an emotion comes up or something comes up that's difficult, I'll always be with it. Um, and that's all I ever do. If something comes up, I have to go be with it. Or I always drop it, a kind of opposite. Something comes up, drop it, come back to my breath, drop it, come back to my breath. And uh, doing always, even just one of those two, 
um, it, it's going to really shortchange us um, in the long run. It's going to really limit our insights, going to limit our freedom, going to limit our capacity, going to limit certainly our fluidity of response, going to limit what we're capable of, not just in meditation, but in life. Um, or sometimes people are just always paying attention in a very kind of microscopic, very narrow, intense way. You know, great, wonderful. Um, it's the always that's the problem. Not someone else always paying attention to kind of relaxed, open, spacious awareness with a wide sort of um, panoramic view, if you like. Um, but always doing either one or the other of those two it will limit the insight that arises. We get certain insights through a microscopic attention that perhaps are not so uh, easily available through a, a wide awareness and vice versa. So this is a general point about the importance of range in practice, flexibility, and not getting locked into one thing, not just doing one thing. And I could give countless examples, but there's two just more, more sort of... Um, standard sort of set of practices. So <clears throat> as, as you're listening to all this, you know, you might um, consider for yourself, well, what's my usual tendency, um, either in regard to an emotion coming up or in regard to um, d d desire coming up and feeling that pressure, heat of desire? What's my usual tendency? What's, what, am I locked into a habit here that I always respond to a certain way? Even if, if I think, oh, that's a, that's a skillful habit, that's a healthy habit. Um, so to be aware of what one's tendencies and habits are, and to know that this can be, and probably, uh, uh, well, probably I am encouraging the opening up of, of, of the range of individual po possibilities for any individual. So this is all for exploration, for development, so that we can develop this flexibility, this range, um, and that opens up a greater range of possibilities for us. It's all part of the art, the exploration, the development that develops our art uh, in, in practice. And a lot of what I'm, I'm going to be saying, hopefully, uh, is repeating or, or will be repeated in, in the instructions. Um, over this course. So the question is, when desire is present, when I feel um, that, um, that m movement or force of desire, it's like in practice or in a moment uh, when I notice it um, in life, then what? So uh, we can... We can say, well, the, the first possible... This isn't any order, by the way, so again... Just listen to what your tendencies are, what you know how to do, what could be developed, etc. And I want to, I want to emphasize a certain um, subset of what I'm going to say. But let's just run through some options. Because one option is, here's desire, here's a movement towards something, here's an impulse towards something or other. And one possibility is, let it go. Put it down. Okay, am I confident of my ability, uh, my abilities to do that? Um, and certainly with the kind of small, kind of petty stuff in life, that, that cup of tea while I'm walking in meditation or in between the sitting walking, do I really need it? Um, or, or, I mean, I might. It might be that actually I, I do need that break and that space there, uh, and that easing off the, off the sort of gas pedal of the effort. But oftentimes it's these small things, or that cookie, you know, um, whatever. Learning to put this stuff down, to let it go, you know, really, really um, uh, a, a good development, a, a helpful development as one of our options. And there's lots of possibilities here, but, you know, um, tracking, I think we've talked about some of this already, but I'll just briefly go through them again, you know, um, being mindful, let's say take that cookie um, and really be mindful of the arising of pleasure um, in the seeing, in the anticipation, in the, um, the whole sensual experience of it, moment to moment, and really being mindful, really paying attention to the pleasure as it arises and passes moment to moment. And if there's enough attention... Um, eventually, uh, you know, sometimes actually the, in, the initial giving more attention to the pleasant actually um, reveals more pleasantness. But eventually, we, we start to we start to kind of see in the whole experience, like 
how how good is this really? Um, you know, relatively speaking, in terms of the kind of pleasure that a human being can get, and uh, whether it's really kind of worth it. How good is this really? But I have to pay attention to uh, to really answer that question. I have to really pay close attention to the pleasure um, or whatever other sensation, because it might be quite neutral, um, arising moment to moment. I've talked and written about that elsewhere, and plenty of people have, so we don't really need to go into it. But uh, another possibility there is actually in this um, atten- uh, close attention to the arising of pleasure in in um, in having what I want. Um, a- actually, then asking, where does the pleasure go? Where did it go? And oftentimes, it's so brief. So we can incline then with with all this. Where did it go? We're inclining towards seeing the impermanence, seeing. Um, the endings, really not just seeing, but sensing, feeling the endings, the impermanence of things, giving attention to um, noticing endings, really honing in on impermanence, moment-to-moment impermanence, the ending of this pleasure, um, really feeling that, really sensing that. So there's an inclination there, an inclining towards the practice of um, anicca, uh, of, of noticing impermanence, and and really, you start to see this pleasure. Where did it go? It 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 dissipates so quickly. And so, out of that, you know, a, a related third option is: what, what will it give me? Really, what will it give me? This thing uh, that I want, this cookie. Um, I mean, if I'm really genuinely hungry, and there's, you know, that's what I have to eat, then of course it's going to give me nourishment and things, and it will give me some pleasure. But how how much, and for how long? So these kinds of reflections, we could we could say all kinds of things, but they're they're related. There, I have to pay attention enough to notice, and I have to pay attention perhaps to impermanence, and I have to pay. Uh, that forms a basis for a kind of reflection that allows letting go. So that kind of thing, letting it go, putting it down as the first sort of general um, uh, direction or or navigation in relation to desire coming on. We could fill that out with all kinds of other possibilities, but let's just keep it at that for now. The second possibility, and actually related, uh, and again, I think I mentioned this already on this retreat, um, and certainly elsewhere, is um, here's um, either uh, a p- pleasant sensation, pleasant Vedna that I'm, I'm um, enjoying, or unpleasant Vedna that I'm craving to get away from, or end, or push away or whatever. And one possibility is actually to really take up, again, a kind of close attention with the mindfulness and, and the kind of intensity, if you like, of mindfulness and an intentness and focusing on on the actual Vedna, moment to moment, pleasant, unpleasant, whatever it is. And noticing within that, not just the Vedna, but noticing the sort of... Um, craving that is, if you like, coupled with the Vedna. So these these uh, ebbs and flows, are little, little impulses and waves of craving that arise, um, if you like, with or from the Vedna, or in relation to the Vedna, and just noticing how they keep dissolving. This impulse, this craving, this little swell of craving, I want it, or I want more of it, or uh, I'm pushing it away. It's not so much in the mind, or certainly that's a level, but in the, in the actual energetics. I'm talking about below, below the level of thought here. Something more fundamental than that, more hardwired uh, even than that. Um, but focusing on the Veda, noticing these swells and, and um, uh, dissipations of craving, the dissolving of craving. Um, doing that is a really good training because then one isn't one finds that in the in the noticing of the dissolving of craving, one actually is um, developing developing the capacity not to get dragged by it. And over time, this 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 grows so that we're less just. Um, automatically and unconsciously pulled by Vedna into craving um, away from or towards something or other. It's a really, really uh, good uh, skill to develop that very um, specific meditative focus. You can do it with any sense door, etc., etc. 
uh, very related to that then is a kind of um, slight shift in the focus to really um, train the mindfulness on uh, in a bit more spacious way probably um, the feeling of the pressure that goes with craving so with craving I really want this or that and and I can feel it build as a pressure again not so much in the mind necessarily as in the in the energy body in fact and this pressure because it's hard to tolerate usually we just want to get rid of the pressure how do I get rid of the pressure the easiest way seems to be eat the cookie take it have the cup of tea get get it over and done with whatever it is light the cigarette etc um, but with practice, actually begin to notice this pressure. And what I need to do is uh, kind of notice it with a more spacious mindfulness. Allow it. Give it space. What pressure needs often is space, right? That's uh, kind of physics. You squeeze something, it's more pressure. So you want to give it space, and it's like giving a gas more space. It, it just takes the pressure off. It lowers the pressure. Just allow that pressure. And again, there'll be a kind of swell um, over perhaps over you know quite quite a bit of time, this kind of um, over some minutes even perhaps a kind of swell of pressure, or maybe micro movements within that, micro swells within that. This kind of swelling of pressure. But if I can just be mindful of it in this kind of very allowing way, giving it space, I can see that I can actually tolerate it easier. And I learn, I develop my capacity to tolerate the pressure of craving or the heat of um, desire or whatever it is. And um, and that toleration, also learning to tolerate, gives me confidence in the long run. And, and you find that this... Um, this pressure and the craving just, just begins to ebb away, and then I'm free. And the next time it comes back, it will probably be a little less strong. And eventually, an addiction can be, uh, some addictions can be healed just, just by doing that. A really, really good skill to have. So either focusing on the Veda, noticing the craving, or, or focusing or feeling on the pressure and allowing, uh, giving that space, tolerating it. So two kind of versions of a second possibility there. Okay. The third possibility has more to do with, if you like, holding. I mean, these, these are all related and they, they can overlap. Certainly they do overlap. But holding with, with a kind of kind mindfulness or kindfulness or uh, mindfulness imbued with kindness. Um, the emotions that are wrapped up in or underneath the desire and the craving. So, for example, a feeling, uh, an emotion of a sense of lack, um, or, or, or even the fear of, of lacking, the fear of missing out, the fear of losing that's, that's impelling me, compelling me, um, pushing me to cling on to something or to crave something or to fill up in a certain way. With food or whatever it is, um, could be it could be actually any kind of fear, fear of boredom. Um, sometimes this is quite subtle and not obvious. We actually have to notice it, discern what's going on there, and then kind of hone in very delicately on this emotion and hold it, care for it. What does that mean? And sometimes it can be an agitation, can be all, all kinds of things. There's an emotion uh, wrapped up in or underneath um, that's sort of firing this craving or whatever it is. And sometimes it can be very subtle, sometimes not so subtle, but that's what needs the attention, that's what needs the care. Now what does it mean to hold caringly um, the, 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 the complex that's involved there? So one part of this is um, holding and caring for the self, for me, that who is feeling this um, this this complex of emotions, whatever it is, feeling of lack, feeling of emptiness in the not not uh, dharmic sense, a feeling of fear, wh- whatever it is, boredom, uneasiness, um, stress, you know, um, holding and caring for the self there. Sometimes with mindfulness, or um, we kind of too quickly 
or at the wrong times we skip over or through the self. It's almost like we laser beam the attention down to the sensations of the emotion, which I'm going to come to in a sec because that's actually quite important or valuable as an option. But sometimes also the level of the self. So this self that is feeling this difficult emotion, that's pu- the, the emotion pushing me into craving, and maybe I even know it's not going to be helpful and all of that. Hey, can I hold and care for myself there? Um, can I give meta to myself um, or just hold myself in this kind of kind awareness? Okay, So it's the level of the self, of, of the being. Um, but a second level is, as I just alluded to, you know, giving, uh, a kind of honing the attention on the emotion rather than the self. So here's this emotion, and one way of doing it is kind of like a laser beam with a lot of intensity. These sensations are arising in my throat, in my chest. It may or may not be that that kind of um, laser beam intensity or bearing down on it is what's needed. It, it may be, but sometimes it's some emotion, some situation, not what's needed. We need something much more delicate, much more caring um, with that. And so, what is it, again, to hold kindly, almost to cup in the hands, like you would hold a little fragile bird or, or something like that, to hold with mindfulness, bring the mindfulness, but the mindfulness has a lot of holding and kindness um, imbuing it, but to hold with mindfulness that emotion um, as it plays out in the energy body. But the emotion of it is what's uh, the actual emotion, the experience of the emotion, the phenomenon of the emotion is what's being held. So again, these, these shade into each other. There's sort of really blurry boundaries here, but we're talking about subtle shifts of emphasis which can make all the difference in practice. Not talking about theory here, not talking about neat, clever distinctions that, uh, you know, very nice packaged together. We're talking about really subtle uh, leanings and emphasis in the moment, in the heat of practice, meeting the difficulty, meeting the beauty, whatever it is. And, And these subtle distinctions, this is where when we talk about mastery, when we talk about artistry, when we talk about the, the beauties of practice, this is really part of it. In this kind of subtlety and 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 the the, the uh, micro leanings of of attention, think of um, you know a, a, an eagle or, or one of those beautiful birds of prey as they as they glide and ride the airwaves or or a surfer riding the waves. It's really the the, the joy, the art is in the micro adjustments, and it just sometimes can be really effortless, really subtle, almost barely noticeable to anyone else. And you're riding the currents. What's most helpful here? What's available? Yeah. So all this this applies to everything. Um, actually, everything we're talking about in general, in practice, certainly everything on this retreat, but particularly what I'm talking about in this talk, or this, this little uh, group of, whatever it is, three or four part talk. And then there's also the possibility of holding and caring for the emotional complex is is um, meta to the phenomenon. Uh, so what I call directing meta towards phenomenon. Meta to the phenomenon of the emotion. Uh, so not so much meta to myself, but actual meta, with phrases, well, I've, I've taught this elsewhere, so I'm not going to go into the technique, you, 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 you may more know it, um, and, and you can find it elsewhere. Um, uh, but meta directed towards the actual emotion, and what you'll find, if you do not try to get rid of it in this way, is oftentimes uh, the emotion fades. If you do not try to get rid of it, which is usually another form of aversion, but actually I'm loving this emotion, which means it's welcome. It's really, really welcome. Um, fully, in, in, in not a kind of theoretical idea, but a real embodied opening, softening of the relationship to it, welcoming, allowing, and, and actually directing the meta to the emotion. So you can do it in different ways. But but actually what will happen, because of dependent rising, because that is a reduction of the clinging, oftentimes the emotion will fade. Um, but that, you know, you can't try for that because that would, oftentimes it's just aversion. 
trying to get rid of the emotion. But depending on, on which of these emphases you do, you know, sometimes the emotion fades, but other times other things might happen. Something else might happen. An image might arise. Something might shift in the energy body. Uh, all, all, all kinds of things. Just some kind of healing with the emotion, some change of the relationship with the emotion, which still stays. All kinds of possibilities. But generally, a third possibility here is so the first one is let go, put it down. The second is focusing on that Vedan and craving, or on the pressure of the craving, allowing it, uh, giving it space, tolerating it. Uh, the third is what we could call kind of holding, meeting and holding, tuning in, noticing, meeting and holding, and caring for in different ways, whether it's the self or the emotion or giving metta to the emotion. And a fourth general sort of possibility for uh, in our navigation in practice when desire, craving, whatever arises, um, is actually to, to make a conscious choice to navigate away from it. Um, so uh, the Buddha plenty of times talked, you know, describes this sort of skillful avoidance. So we're not talking about fear of it. I'm afraid of the eros, I'm afraid of it, the intensity, or, or some kind of knee-jerk reaction there. We're actually talking about, you know, a, a, a conscious, skillful response to actually just lean, incline the consciousness um, somewhere else. You know, because sometimes what we see uh, is that this craving, or this desire that uh, is arising right now, is actually arising uh, in part, or even predominantly, because I'm not feeling nourished right now. I mean, spiritually nourished, nourished in my being, in my heart, um, uh, or in my energy, or whatever it is. I'm not feeling nourished right now. And actually, uh, what I would I would do better to actually concentrate on giving myself some nourishment, opening some nourishment. Um, uh, or I'm feeling restless, and the restlessness is impelling this craving. Craving and restlessness go, or aversion and restlessness go intimately together. These hindrances are intimately connected. Um, or, or generally, there's not enough space in my consciousness. The consciousness is getting cramped, and and that's often because there is already some craving. But that crampedness is actually just fueling that lack of space is fueling the craving in a not very helpful way. So there's a kind of intensification, a snowballing effect, um, because there's not enough space in the consciousness. Or there's just not enough energy, I'm depleted in some way and I'm irritable and there's craving, aversion, away, away from or towards something, whatever my particular pattern of vulnerability is when I'm tired and, and uh, uh, etc. depleted. So, one can deliberately kind of recognize, okay, let's, let's, let's just incline towards um, some kind of nourishment right now. And that doesn't necessarily mean getting up off the cushion and going for a walk, or taking in nature, for example, talking to a friend. Of course it can, of course, uh, all, all that, you know, uh, is possible. But within the practice, still sitting there, or walking, or whatever, is still in the form, I can just m- move in to a samadhi practice, for instance, or, or to, to metta. It doesn't need necessarily to give myself metta, if I'm feeling uh, depleted or not nourished, I could, but sometimes I might just as, just as well give matter to other people, and I'll still get nourished from that. For sure I will. Or if it's space that I need, you know, opening out the consciousness, maybe taking the walking meditation, sitting meditation outside to help me with the outdoors, the sky, but sometimes just opening to listening. 360 degree listening from um, uh, you know all all distances near and far, and just opening to listening uh, will open them open the spaciousness of the consciousness kind of organically there. Or generally some kind of practice that inclines towards fabricating less perception. So, you know, there's a whole host of these. I'm not going to describe them all, but, for instance, anatta practice, uh, if you know it, or, or actually any kind of emptiness practice. Um, actually, the summit of the metta and the spaciousness are also practices of less fabrication. But there's So there's a navigation away from 
uh, the fabrication that's wrapped up in the in and with the desire, and uh, instead a navigation towards um, practices which are less fabricating, samatha, metta, spaciousness, emptiness practices of different kinds, etc. Really, really skillful at times, and to know that one has that option to develop these options so that they are available and accessible, and 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 to uh, you know experiment with gliding between these different practices. Um, uh, and and really feeling the resource, uh, knowing and being nourished by these different things at different times. So that would be a fourth option. A fifth option I'll just mention here, and um, and we'll 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 um, introduce it in the instructions. Um, uh, I I am referring to what I actually introduced a few years ago in the um, talk. Beauty of Desire Part 2, uh, I'm guessing 2011, I could be wrong. Um, um, but uh, it, very briefly, just here's this desire. Actually, here's some difficulty that I'm experiencing. Um, m- some pain, some confusion, some anger, wh- whatever it is, um, some sadness. And sometimes what, what, what can happen there is actually, um, I, I think that, there's probably some desire um, wrapped up in this uh, difficulty that I'm feeling, or it might actually be that I'm conscious of a desire that it seems like I can't have, or, or something, um, or I shouldn't let myself have, or something or other. But it might just be some other difficult emotion. So there's probably a desire here. Can I just give myself um, uh, enough of a platform of? You know, deciding to entertain some trust, deciding that maybe there's a treasure in that desire. Maybe that desire is a kind of treasure. So I'm just opening the view uh, away from like what's a sort of what I might have been taught or or what I might uh, believe already, and just say maybe there's a treasure in this desire. First step. Second step. What am I really wanting here? So it seems to be I want this person, it seems to be I want this to happen, or it seems um, that this, we'll, we'll go into this in more detail, but what am I really desiring? What's the deeper desire, if you like, the more sort of, in a way, more general or abstract desire here? And and to, 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 to find out what that is, just gently with the inquiry, and then really, third step, open to that. Open to the current, the force of that desire in the energy body. But I mean really open, really opening the, uh, the sense of the body to that, uh, what can sometimes feel like a torrent or a stream, um, really, really opening to it and allowing it to flow. Uh, so three steps there and something quite remarkable can happen in terms of the whole state of consciousness and the freedom in relationship to the desire. It's not coming from putting the desire down. It's not coming from navigating away from it. It's not coming um, from just being mindful of it in in the usual sense. There's there's a different uh, different order of something that's available here in terms of a and it really turns upside down our. Um, probably the the beliefs that we've kind of become a little bit entrenched in in relationship to um, desire, over, perhaps over the years of practice, etc. But here, there's more an emphasis um, on, uh, on the energy of the desire itself and the sort of uh, rather than the image, and also this, as I said, the, the more generalized desire or more abstracted desire, the kind of deeper level, if you like. So it's away from the image towards more of this generality of what I'm desiring deeply, what I really want, and um, and and more towards the the energy and and that kind of general level rather than the image. So there's five options, but actually. This talk, and maybe the next one we'll see how we do for time, um, this talk, uh, what I mostly uh, want to go into is 
um, staying within imaginal practice with uh, the the desire that's arising in that imaginal, with the eros, with the erotic imaginal, with the beloved other, staying with the image, not navigating away, not going to just to the energy of the desire as I just described, not putting it down, or not all of that, not just finding the emotions underneath and being mindful of them and caring for them, but actually staying within, if you like, the... Uh, the remit and the direction of imaginal practice, keeping the image alive and and uh, and and working with the eros there okay uh, but remember um, all those options that i 've just been through navigating away uh, from from the desire or from the image, um, any of the previous ones that we 've just um, been through are available as is you know stopping the meditation pausing opening your eyes you know it's pretty rare that that's going to be necessary so maybe some of you are thinking god this this is going to be really intense this eros business and desire and wow and fire and all that and yeah maybe sometimes but uh, you know it's pretty i would say pretty rare that someone actually it's just way too much and they need to stop and open their eyes i mean it, it might be but generally speaking again there's a real range here so all all of those options that we've just been through are possible or what i want to really explore um shortly is is subtle shifts and inclinations shifts of emphasis and adjustments um of emphasis in the imaginal practice that um allow us to yes part of the mastery allow us to uh, to um find our way, allow it to find its way, to open the paths to open in the imaginal, in the erotic imaginal, um, allow the vessel to be strong in the moment, etc., and, and elastic if it needs to be, or whatever. So that's really what I want to go into. Uh, before I do a couple of things, one is, <clears throat> um, sometimes it's, valuable to be clear, uh, in fact most of the time probably, it's valuable to be clear what I'm actually responding to. So if we're talking about the art of skillful response and subtle responses to subtle or not so subtle um, things or energies or, 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 or qualities that are arising um, in the practice, it's, it's good to be clear what am I actually responding to. You know, and if or when if the eros uh, that's present um, in an imag- in image, uh, imaginal practice feels hard to bear, if or when eros feels hard to bear sometimes, um, why right now does it feel hard to bear? In other words, what exactly is hard to bear about it? And so this, is, this can be an interesting question at times, and actually quite a helpful inquiry at times. Not that you have to always go into this inquiry, but sometimes. Sometimes, for example, <clears throat> in what's happening in an erotic image in the practice, there's a sense of merging, perhaps with the uh, with the beloved, or dissolving into them or together, and uh, there can be fear in relation to that fear of that merging, fear of dissolving, and that uh, makes the whole thing hard to bear. Um, or it could be uh, that actually there's a lot of bliss arising, a lot of pleasure, and uh, if one isn't used to it or doesn't know how to work with it, that can be uh, feel hard to bear. Or kind of related but a little bit different, just the erotic charge, the energetic charge uh, can be can feel hard to bear. Or sometimes what's happening in, in the imaginal practice with the uh, erotic object, the erotic beloved, is is that the, there's an opening of one's being, and that opening of the heart and the whole being uh, feels vulnerable, and that feels hard to bear. Uh, we feel unsure about that, or perhaps uh, it, it's actually verged in. It, it's actually um, gone into craving, and the craving is bringing a certain constriction, and that feels uncomfortable, hard to bear, or it might be a matter of trust. You know, here feel like oh, I'm, I'm I'm not sure, and and we're feeling uneasy because because of uh, there isn't enough trust in place in this practice, in in the eros itself, 
in 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 the kind of image that's coming up is is feels you know to the mind it feels oh this is weird or it's too this or that or whatever or not enough this or that or something or it could be you know sometimes what happens is there's there's a really deep longing that arises in relation to certain images um and fantasies and it has this kind of bittersweet but kind of a little bit hard to bear uh, or very hard to bear quality to it um so all these are, you know, there's, there's multiple options with all of these. But I remember um, just not too long ago working with someone and she was working with an image. We were working with it together. And um, and she said, oh, the Eros is a little bit hard to bear right now. And uh, I asked her, you know, what exactly is hard to bear? And I went through some of these possibilities and she was sort of, checking in and looking and she, and she said no what's hard to bear is the giving so this was okay well what, what do you mean the giving and so it was part of the image that was that was already uh, unfolding for her that she was if you like in and this was an image that that was very it was more bodily than uh, visual uh, it was coming through her body and she was moving her body uh, sort of in expression of the image and sensing the image through her body so we've talked about that with the different senses but what what was needed was actually uh, a little bit more entering into the image inquiring into the image and then this sense of oh it's the giving that's a problem okay what well, giving and tell me about the giving uh, what what is being given and then then going into that whole image of the giving, and she felt herself uh, to be a divine womb. So the whole thing just went uh, to another level in in the image, into the image, and it opens up. She was a divine womb, a sort of generatrix, and her body was turning out sacred text. So she was making this gesture with her body, kind of rolling her arms. It was puzzling to her. She was following her body, and and the image. Uh, was of this divine womb turning out sacred texts on her arms and with her body. And these texts sort of emanated, radiated, and, and then became the cosmos. So there's some kind of divine goddess birthing the cosmos in hierophanic time here, and birthing also the beloved other. It's quite a powerful, beautiful, and, and uh, profound image. Um, but it took actually going into the the question of what, what's hard to bear there. Um, an imaginal, it was an aspect of the image, and opening that up. So in other words, exploring the image more can sometimes make the whole thing easier and give rise to more space. So this is the emphasis this last one that I've just been through that I want to explore shortly. But, but as I said, please remember that there are options with, with all of these. So, so for instance, um, if there's a lot of bliss or a lot of pleasure arising with, uh, with, a, with an image, um, oftentimes the, the secret here is to open the energy body. Give it more space. Uh, give that bliss... Um, space to flow, to move, allow it. The emphasis is really on opening and allowing and enjoying. If you really open, really allow and kind of surrender to it, like you surrender to uh, you know, a really powerful shower or waterfall, even you just really open um, the body to it and, and let yourself enjoy it, you'll find almost always that that actually takes the unpleasant edge off. Um, uh, and, and the intensity of of the pleasure makes it much more tolerable. Now you could do that um, almost like again this this kind of gently veering away from the image to just a meditation on the energy body, and you're just working. Uh, you let the image go, and you're just working with the bliss and the pleasure in the energy body, really opening, really allowing, and letting yourself enjoy, surrendering, abandoning yourself to that pleasure, and you'll find that it uh, becomes a meditation in itself on the energy body, on the pleasure, etc. It can go to uh, samadhi and different things. Um, or you might 
do exactly that, but keeping the image present. So you're just kind of, again, it's all about shades of emphasis. So there the image is present. I'm not letting the image go. I'm keeping that, but I'm at the same time working with opening the energy body and allowing and enjoying and surrendering and all those things while I'm still engaged with in relationship to the image. Lots of possibilities. Uh, Similarly with the um, erotic and energy charge that we... Uh, we talked about before, but they're, you know, in other words, really opening the energy body, etc. But there are other options with the image. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of what we, just the list we went through of what might feel hard to bear just then, um, you know, if the opening of the being feel is what feels vulnerable, then again, you can go back to kind of meeting that vulnerability being, feeling in with mindfulness, what does that feel like, caring for it, maybe some metta, maybe just the caring kind of holding with mindfulness, maybe again, stopping, pausing, you don't need to push yourself through something that feels too much of an edge for you that you're not ready for, you know, if it's too vulnerable, say stop, pause, it's okay, it's really okay. Um, but again, there's other options, keeping the image around, playing with that edge, working with the energy, but with the image, um, or rather primarily with the image, even more than the energy or the emotion, and and the energy and the emotion shift from the different relationship with the image. This is what I want to go into. Uh, and the first one I mentioned there of the list of what might feel uh, hard to bear was this fear of merging or it's like it's Im- imminent dissolution might feel like or tendency to dissolution uh, in a way what's helpful there is more this kind of collateral investment if you like um, from before that if if you have experience from other practices um, of, of a lessening of fabrication because that's what that dissolution is the lessening of the fabrication of self and the perception of other, perception of anything. If you're familiar with that from practices of samadhi or metta or emptiness or those kinds of things, um, then that familiarity you realize uh, over time that you can really trust this dissolution. If it, if it does go to dissolution or, or if it wants to or if you want to go to dissolution, really there's no danger there. There's no danger. Things can dissolve, merge into oneness, all kinds of different kinds of oneness and luminosity and all kinds of stuff. Uh, No danger at all. You're not going to get stuck there. You're not going to um, lose anything permanently that's, at least nothing that's worth uh, keeping. Um, But but really, generally, one goes into these experiences and and comes out and uh, with familiarity, with with time dipping in and out through other practices or even this kind of practice, you realise there's no danger. I mean, it might help you just if if that's really very new to you, hearing from a teacher, hearing me say or Catherine say or whoever say, there's no danger. You know, you can you can dip into that just a little bit, a little bit more, maybe a little bit more sometimes, and and uh, and and it becomes like a real beautiful option, uh, completely trustworthy. Um, or you can also, uh, sometimes what happens is there's a sense of the fear of the dissolution or the fear of the sort of melting, and what you can do is just kind of know that there's fear there, and at the same time just notice that it's also very nice, it's pretty yummy at that point, and you can just not push away the fear, but just notice the, the yumminess that's around uh, in the body, in the mind perhaps, um, as around as well as the fear, and just very gently kind of um, incline the mind or the attention towards the yumminess, without ignoring or pushing anything away or trying to get rid of the fear or anything. Just enjoying that yumminess, that pleasure, and that can really, really help. And, uh, with all this, it's important to just be aware that, I said this before, you know, often um, in Eros, with Eros, there is uh, a tension. There is what, we, what we're calling an erotic tension. Partly because of the pothos, partly because there's always this more, more there. Um, and partly because there's a tension between this um, attraction, tension, uh, attraction towards the uh, 
beloved other, the erotic object, whatever, while at the same time retaining two-ness. So there's like a pull in opposite directions. There's a pull towards the object and there's a pull away from to retain, to keep the two-ness. So all of this kind of creates um, uh, what we're calling erotic tension. Um, and sometimes that's uh, quite noticeable and other times it's barely noticeable at all. You know, um, But just to know, so that that can be a part of eros yes there are um all kinds of different experiences of peace that we can have in and with the eros the quite particular ones uh, senses of peace that we'll hopefully get to in this retreat um and uh kinds of if you like equan- equanimity or balance um in and with the eros but strictly speaking equanimity um, is is really about the uh, drastic lessening, if not erasure, uh, momentarily of any any pulling of the object towards oneself or pushing it away, any uh, movement of desire that way. And because it's that lessening of the push pull towards something, um, it actually kind of moves towards a fading. I mentioned this in the last or part before of this talk. So equanimity and fading go together. Deep equanimity involves deep fading. A state of deep equanimity is a state of deep fading. Um, and that's not really what's happening in, uh, in, in a state of eros for the most part. I mean, it might go towards this melting in union and sort of dissolving in light with the beloved other or whatever, but generally speaking, as I said, the, the um, eros will, will, will stay engaged with an other, will retain the uh, other, whereas deep equanimity will dissolve the other, dissolve the thingness, and actually not be in engagement. This is a funny thing, I'll throw it out anyway, but um, some of you will be interested, some won't be, but um, the uh, Pali for equanimity is upekka, the Sanskrit is upeksha, upeksha, and that's from upa and iksha, and iksha means seeing, or to regard, or to consider, or to watch over, and upa tends to mean, usually means uh, towards or near or together with. So you get this sense of um, uh, watching closely something. Um, we say equanimity and tend to think with mindfulness, it's a watching closely of something like that. But the word upa um, also actually has the um, implication of extinction, of killing, of diffusing something. So at a stretch, uh, I mean if we just play with words now, at a stretch, upeksha, upa iksha could mean something like the extinction of looking. Uh, In other words, the fading of perception. Now, I'm not claiming that is the etymology. I mean, it, it might be actually involved in it, but um, personally, I find arguments over etymology and picking uh, picking over the etymology to try and find the authentic, real one meaning that the Buddha had for these things. I, f- I find that a bit silly, to be honest. I would rather um, use words to open doors to... A, uh, give us pathways, uh, kind of more suggestive hermeneutics there. Um, but anyway, uh, eros is different, really, than equanimity. We can talk about kinds of equanimity and kinds of peace that can be mixed with the eros, a part of the whole opening of the erotic imaginal. But actually, there is a kind of tension, an erotic tension, that remains. Um, for the most part, and to differing degrees, when we're working with eros. Okay, so let's look in more detail in the next part. Let's move into what I said I really wanted to talk about, uh, which is the working with, uh, staying with the images and working, and the subtle shifts of emphasis and inclination that can happen in, in imaginal practice in the moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.